Welcome back to The Profitable Python. I'm your host, Ben McNeil, and on this episode, you will meet Matthew Emmerich. Matthew brings forward emerging technologies, such as artificial intelligence and machine learning, to the greater world. The people Matthew serves benefit from his passion for AI, his multi-degree college background, and his continual sharpening of the saw relating to all things AI. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and thank you all for listening or watching. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on here, but before we crack open anything, I must know, what kind of tea is the best kind of tea? Well, I drink all sorts of kinds of tea throughout the day, caffeinated, decaf, herbal, but my go-to is a simple green tea with lemon. Awesome. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I've, I've kind of become like a ginger fan a little bit too. Nice. But uh, I also have been known to uh, hook up the IV of caffeine and just go for it, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I'll yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I did want to know, um, just to kind of kick this off, how did you discover your passion for cognitive science? Or is that broad enough for kind of... <laughs> Oh, cognitive science is extremely, extremely broad. It covers linguistics, excuse me, uh, computer science, psychology, philosophy, anthropology, all sorts of things. But it kind of links into my passion for artificial intelligence. And I've I read things growing up, a lot of science fiction. I grew up near Cape Canaveral, Florida, saw the spatials go up, saw the Challenger explode when I was Crazy. like five years old. Uh, that stays with you, but there's were certain science fiction books that stuck with me. Some dealt with AI uh, in a positive note, thankfully, unlike a lot of fiction. Mm -hmm. But I started reading more. I got into computer science. I started reading more nonfiction. And then after I got my master's degree in computer science, I stuck around and got majors in major in cognitive science and minors in philosophy and psychology. Hmm. It just, I, I didn't know that entire background there, but it almost seems like, you know, with the whole space shuttle thing at five years old, like, I mean, you were almost destined for this journey is, <laughs> is kind of what it sounds like. Since there was a teacher on board, every kid, every child in the area watched that happen live with their right. own eyes. Oh, wow. Every single one in the area. Huh. Yeah. I think I was like one years old or like less than one years old when that happened, but, um, that's, man, that's intense. So life-changing, uh, nonetheless, I guess. So, okay, cool. Um, what would you say that your first success was, uh, in applying AI to real world problems? <laughs> this has stuck with me and it was a major assignment in my very first artificial intelligence course as an undergrad. Okay. And it was basically create an expert system and have it solve a problem. And this was not much of a program, mostly if statements, not, I don't know why my teacher was so impressed by it, but I got an A and it was basically put in your qualities and it'll help you and it'll give you a list of majors that might work for you. And looking back, it's like, what was I thinking? That was a horrible program. I did poorly on it. How did I even pass that course? Given the advancements in AI and what I know now, I would do it in a completely different way. Okay. And it would be so much better. And I think people would actually find it useful. I like that. I, yeah. As soon as you, man, as soon as you said that, I was like, 
there's probably, I mean, so many people that are, um, need, need something like that. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, school is crazy, man. I, I mean, I don't know. It sounds like you had the luxury of kind of having that clarity, like this is what I'm going for and no. Okay. No, no. Uh, I started my college career in high school. I had 30 college credits in mostly in electrical engineering. Okay. And I took my first programming class, Visual Basic 4. Nice. Yeah, the language wasn't so nice. Uh, did some HTML as well. Ended up taking VB5, teaching VB6 in grad school. But it got me more into the software because software is so amazing. You can create worlds with it. You can generate worlds and spend the rest of your life exploring that one world if you truly wanted to. But... I meandered, I got my bachelor's, I didn't want to join the real world, so I got my master's degree in, in computer science. Uh, unlike a lot of my friends, I did not get a single offer after finishing up a master's degree in computer science mm. in 2005. And so I stuck around, because why not? Um, and I ended up adding that major in two minors. Yeah, and, wow. And then it took me still two months to find a job after that. Wow. Yeah, actually, I want to, this is a little off the cuff here, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious because that's actually like a challenge that a lot of people run through. Um, even myself going through school, I had, I knew the internships were the key, but I, it, it was always this catch 22. Like they would only hire the interns that had experience. You're like, yes, Give me some experience that I'll, you know, it's just a crazy scenario. Like, how did you, like, what was your tactics? Like, like mentally, how did you like deal with it? Um, obviously you broke through somewhere. Like, can you just shed some color to some, someone out there having this pain? I actually had an internship and I applied to places that I didn't offer them saying, here's why you should have an intern. One, I work cheap. Mm -hmm. Two, I, I already have a master's degree and I'm working as an intern and it worked. I was in the DC area for a summer. They had me work remote for the rest of, for my final year of school, my eighth and final year of school. And even then I still had no offers upon graduation. It took me a month and a half of, of a lot of panic yeah. to find my first job back in the DC area of all places. And then I ended up moving back to Michigan after that less than a year later. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, man. It, it's uh, it's, it's not a fun spot to be in, but I guess they do, they do say like, you know, pain, you, you, you got to seek, you got to go towards the pain if you want to grow. And uh, so anyway, thanks, thanks for sharing that. Um, in, in what ways, <laughs> yeah, turning this back uh, into another uh, uh, question here. Uh, what ways would you imagine deep voice being productized? Deep voice is a very interesting area, and I can see both positives and negatives with that. Wouldn't you love to have a virtual assistant that had the voice of James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman or Vincent Price or your favorite music artist or actor? I mean, that would be amazing, having Vincent Price, my all-time favorite voice, saying, there's someone at the door, Matthew. I mean, just, it would be amazing. The problem, of course, is that I can take your YouTube videos and make your voice. Yeah. And then pretend to be you. I can, t I saw a video on YouTube in the last few weeks where in five seconds of voice, there was a pretty good simulation of Kate Winslet's voice. 
Hmm. And you, you know, it's not her, it's not perfect, but it's getting there and you can pretend to be anyone. You can pretend to be your boss to talk to his boss, record that voice, move your way up the chain. You can pretend to be someone's grandson and extort money out of people who do not know better. I firmly expect phones to have built-in software to detect this, much like we have um, spam filters now, but then it becomes an arm race for fake video, fake audio, all that fun stuff, and it's just perpetual back and forth, cat and mouse. Yeah. Thing. Man, they, so uh, last night I was going going through like a little thought experiment and GAN, like GANs, the generative adversarial networks cropped up and I was thinking, uh, and then the, the person I was sitting with, they were telling me like, uh, they did, they, they did some sort of generative AI with the matrix, except Neo took the blue pill and now he works <laughs> in like the office. <laughs> and, and yeah. And there was like a role reversal between Neo and the, uh, you know, the, 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 the Mr. Smith's like Neo was the boss and Mr. Smith was like this, you know, like the off. So, you know, between like the generative video where they're making like motion generative motion pictures and then, uh, uh, generative audio, it's almost like reality is going to have some weird boundaries. That is one of the downsides of AI and it's going to take AI to help solve the problem or at least keep the arms race in check. It's already creeping into politics, making so say your political opponent look like they're saying something that they never have. And there are a lot of example videos on that to warn people about that threat. That is a major downside of AI. It because it, people don't understand People don't get past nuance half the time, personally, mm-hmm. I feel, and they don't. They just have a hard time comprehending this at first until either they're too far down the rabbit hole and they're in Wonderland all of a sudden, or or they're extorted out of their money, or they're convinced to vote for someone who works against their own interests. Yeah, it's it sounds tricky. I, it does kind of beg the question, like are maybe these systems already exist, but it almost seems like we need some way to digitally sign any content that we release. Like I, Ben McNeil released this video. Here's my digital signature. Or do they like, how are they navigating the authenticity problem? Blockchain offers some potential with that. I haven't dug too deeply into that technology yet. I don't really have the time, unfortunately. Yeah. I wish I did. Uh, I'm not big into cryptocurrency, but the technology behind it, the blockchain has a lot of useful applications and I look forward to seeing things come from that. Mm-hmm. I wonder how that might be weaponized in the future. I haven't heard anything about that. <laughs> technology is a tool. It's how people use it. Of course, like every other tool, you can build a house with a hammer. You can build a house for a homeless man, or you can do something nefarious with that hammer. Yeah. Oh man. It's, it's a tool. It, I, I'm sure it's like somebody's, somebody's probably coined the term, you know, like, uh, you know, so, something law, but like, if it can be weaponized, it probably will. So we might as well just figure out how to be the good guys with it and, and, uh, and, uh, innovate before the bad guys, I guess. Yeah. McNeil's law. <laughs> Say that again. McNeil's law. McNeil's law, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, 
Uh, how does one even begin to digest the prolific innovation occurring in AI? There is so much there. Our YouTube channels I follow, they post a couple times a week. I can keep up with that somehow. There are websites that are good if you want to dig deeper into papers. Uh, one I recommend is Papers with Code. Okay. It's popular papers and it comes with all the code. You can just plop that in. You can run it as is. You can modify the code and really dig deep into it. There's the Archive Sanity Preserver, uh, spelled A-R-X-I-V. Uh, that's a great website for papers. There are so many things on there to research, too many things. Hmm. And they do break it up into categories, which is nice. A favorite YouTube channel of mine is uh, Two Minute Papers. I watch I've almost everything. Yeah. So he's into a lot of video and fluid simulations. I, I enjoy those, but the neural network based videos are my favorite with him. Okay. And that, I mean, it's so difficult, but find who you want to follow, who, who is in your area, follow them, watch their stuff, try to interact with them. If you can read the research, who do they read? Who do they quote in their research? Who they cite, who do they follow on LinkedIn and don't go too deep because then you will be overwhelmed, but go a little bit deeper than just the surface area. Yeah. That's the two minute papers has cropped up on the last couple of podcasts and uh, people seem to really like that content. So thanks for sharing. And maybe is there other things like that out there where it's kind of like the cliff notes version of the papers, like, cause these things are being produced and then ultimately like I would imagine, well, some people are in it for just the intellectual, like, I found this thing. I'm progressing science, but I mean, aren't we trying to make money with this stuff too? Like how do you not only stay on top of the, like the bleeding edge stuff, but like make money with, it? you know what I mean? Like it's just seems so complicated. Game AI is one area and that's becoming more and more advanced in the last decade. Thanks mm. to neural networks. Oh, if you think back to the end of Rogue One, you had a young Princess Leia again. That was done using a lot of techniques that probably dealt into AI as well. They monetized that quite well. Mm. So there are some areas there. You can get speaking gigs if you go into an area no one has done before and find something new. People will let you speak at conferences, uh, boardrooms, nonprofits, things like that, uh, to governments. So that can open up a lot of doors. Mm -hmm. What, so, uh, so you're, you're like a fairly active community member. Like you go to the events and that sort of thing in, in the space. I would like to do more. Mm -hmm. I usually watch the videos of the workshops on YouTube when and where okay. I can, I will read the, the major papers. Uh, those websites I mentioned before are very good about that. They'll say, okay, what are people reading? What are people citing? And then mm. what do the people that I follow read? Okay, cool. And I'd, I'd imagine you'd be a little more social if, uh, if you weren't the proud father of a, uh, a newborn, basically. Is that uh, one of the factors I'd imagine? Yes, he turns one tomorrow. My <laughs> wife is a teacher, so I'm the one who gets up with him every night. Nice. And I am constantly tired. When you combine that with my insomnia, he'll sleep through the night sometimes, and then I can't sleep. Yeah. 
<laughs> but that gives me an hour where I can get up and read a paper or watch some videos or type up my own thoughts. Yeah. Post a LinkedIn. Yeah, that no, that's exciting, man. Uh congratulations. I don't Thank I don't you. have kids myself, but um I I can only I can only imagine how much fun that would be. Feel so. free to borrow mine. He just started <laughs> <Yeah>. crawling. <laughs> Just started crawling. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, okay. So I also, um, uh, just before we kind of, well, actually we're, we're jumping into the section for going deeper into the passion areas. And I, I know that you're, you're, you're definitely a gamer, uh, in part of your life, but, um, you, you're kind of, would you say you're more of like the video game or like the board game? Tell me about it. <laughs> I used to play a lot of video games. They sucked up a lot of my hours of my day. I can't do that anymore. I don't have okay. the time. I don't have the money. I used to play WoW, but I can't, I can't keep buying the expansions and spending the hundreds of hours and pay the monthly fees. I played Guild Wars 2, which was a lot cheaper, <laughs> but yeah. it still sucked up the hours. And that keeps me from progressing with AI. It keeps me from my son, from my wife, the one or two friends I have. Um, so I gave up pretty much all video games. I have a little time waster game on my phone. I'll play now and then just to take my mind off of things. But my wife and I love board games. Okay, cool. I play a bit of D&D when I have time. I usually am the one who runs the games lately with my family. But it's just a matter of time anymore. So not as often as I would. Mm-hmm. Would you say that, uh, I guess like the board games, there's a little more than just the entertainment aspect. It's like you're gelling with family members or friends. It's like, you, like you're getting more, it's a better gaming experience. Like, is that a, is that a, a, a good way of stating it? I guess. I think so. The better games are replayable. They're a little bit different each time and they teach you different strategy skills. Mm different ways of thinking. They're social because you're with other people. Same with Dungeons and Dragons. You are creating something. You are socializing with people. You have to keep on top of things. You have to be able to do improv, which is a huge skill to me. Planning, preparation. So time management <laughs> factors in a lot with that. Hmm. So you can pick up a lot of skills by playing the more sociable games, which I think are more the board games and Dungeons and Dragons or other tabletop games. Yeah, that's a, that's a cool, I, I've never really thought about it that way. It's like, um, uh, it's, it's almost like the video game industry is kind of chasing after, like they haven't been able to replicate that experience very well. Or, or would you argue against that? In the games where it's multiplayer, where you are talking to people, you are focused on the game. So there's a little bit of socialization but you don't just get to talk because you're so focused on the game. It's it, You can't stop. You can't pause the game anymore. Right. Um, I do enjoy games that tell a good story. I love role-playing games on, on the computer or on my old PS3, which I still have. Yeah. Which I watch Blu-rays on now and that's about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Fallout. I, I drank the Kool-Aid hard on that game. <laughs> like, I will... Good backstory. I, yeah, I, I, and uh, actually there was another one. Um, there was like some story about like the game developers. I guess they like branched off um, back in the day. Like there was some, there was 
some issues at Interplay, I guess. So like some of the developers branched out and uh, they created another game called Wasteland. And then they got like sued for, I don't, I don't <laughs> know if you're familiar with this backstory because it's like very similar game mm-hmm. stuff. But uh, so I am like a huge sucker for Wasteland and Fallout. And even though I don't game too much, like I see a commercial or something for that, I will, I am intrigued. <laughs> I, I like the stories behind them. I like watching the trailers mm-hmm. or that or Far Cry or anything with a good story to it, with a good lore behind it. That brings me in or, or or tries to yeah but i just it, it's a huge rabbit hole it eats up <laughs> a lot of your time <laughs> yeah it's good to it's good to have clarity on your priorities so you don't have to be wishy-washy when things like that come up i guess it's difficult <laughs> yeah. I, I i want to waste my time my brain wants to waste my time all the time and right it's a fight yes but i do know that you are a huge proponent of um well like, like when I ask this question, I already know the answer, but we can dig into it. Um, uh, basically, like, what is the best investment that you can make? For? Well, I, and I, I kind of front loaded this a little bit. Like, basically, in, in, in the world, and I know you're a huge proponent of investing in yourself. Like, like that's like a, like a no-brainer. And so when it comes to, like, these, you know, you know video games, like, is that really, like, a – an investment in yourself like i guess you could argue both ways but i know you're a huge proponent of investing in yourself so the younger you are the more you should invest in yourself the older you are the more you should invest in others and your community because you have more to offer at that point yes very very much so Hmm. uh oh yeah I, i was just wondering like where are you on that journey i guess (laughs) <laughs> are you like a you're 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 maybe playing both roles a little bit i would imagine i turned 40 this year i'm at the halfway point because i consider anything after 80 to be bonus and <clears throat> i am trying to contribute more i try to mentor i've written a few articles on linkedin um about preparing yourself for college or planning out your college career to get the most out of it Mm. study techniques i enjoy working with people one-on-one with that i don't get to do that very often i volunteer in my wife's fourth grade classroom i do hour of code or i try to every year i did 17 classrooms last year oh wow five i love the kindergartners little dance break you dance with them a lot of fun (laughs) uh great school great people there uh i don't know if i know exactly how hour of code works uh what what is that Basically, you play games with the students, and the games teach you how to make choices with the game equivalent of an if statement or loops, and you learn how an algorithm works without really teaching them how an algorithm works. It, Hmm. it, It gives them the thought patterns to be able to think algorithmically, which can oh, wow. can be a step toward being able to work with code later on in life. We wanted to start a coding club at our school, but with her getting pregnant, us having a child, there is no time, and we live a little bit too far away as well. Yeah, man, I you know I when you when you said that, uh, it just kind of made me think like they didn't have cool stuff like that when I was a kid. Like, could you imagine? <sighs> like being exposed to this stuff, like what the trajectory of life would be like. I mean, I, kind of an amazing time. 
I was on the Apple IIe okay. up until pretty much high school, playing Word Monsters, the Oregon Trail, of course. I yes. died of dysentery, I don't know how many times. <laughs> uh, they actually have a card game uh, for it now, and I think we've won one time because you, you, you a snake bite, you're dead. Okay. It's brutal. Dysentery, you're dead. <laughs> the first card, you're dead. Uh, but, <laughs> but yes, um, the resources are just ins- insane. Uh, what what is available le- for the like just exposing people to it younger and younger, and I don't know. It's just it's really amazing what we have right now. There are drag and drop languages to let you build using just code blocks where you don't have to type anything, which is great because little kids can't usually type very well. Mm-hmm. These are the ones I've been working with, unfortunately. But you learn the basics. And yeah. that, that the fundamentals help you because you need a good foundation to be able to dig deeper, to be able to, to accomplish things. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And I was also curious in the pre-interview, you had mentioned this thing that I have never heard before and I must know more. What is a perception engine? It's my idea to help link cognitive science and AI a little bit more. They're, they are two very different fields. They help each other out. Mm, cognitive architectures are the closest link that I've seen personally, or of course, neural networks uh, that both inform each other of that. But my perception engine, when we perceive things, it's not real time. There is a small, a small gap of microseconds and we see such a tiny fraction of what's out there and there's all this pre-processing when when information goes from your eye to your brain there's so much pre-processing already done before it gets to your brain before it gets to the occipital lobe uh your brain or your optic nerve is detecting edges detecting lines it's recognizing objects before you even think about things so why not bring at least for now, audio and visual t- together into one world, into maybe like a game engine from cameras, from microphones, maybe multiple cameras and build a world and then perceive that instead. Hmm. It simplifies things. You can bring in textures. So you, you keep the fidelity as much as possible. You have pre-processing. So objects are already detected. And then you build your AI on top of that instead whether it's a neural network it's the old school symbolic ai or a mix of the two it's a multi-agent system genetic algorithms whatever and on top of that you have the added the added benefit of putting a simulation in so you can simulate things that look that look real to the perception engine and you can run it faster it can learn things in the background at Mm. the same time and then further learn in the real world. Yeah, I, I, uh, there's some, there's so many things I'm, I'm curious about here. One is like, could, would one of the app, like the applications be like, I'm blind and I want an immersive experience. Some, like, is there some way to actually like pipe that into my brain, even though I can't see, or is it more of like a therapeutic thing for people that can they do have all their senses like how i never thought about applying it to a person okay though you can 
I know that they actually make systems that will perceive the world for a blind person and give them some form of sight. I haven't dug too deeply into that, but that is fascinating. I hope they can bring down the cost of that so it's actually marketable to the average person. Yeah. Hmm. But my idea was simply to be able to train AIs, which we, we kind of do already. We'll simulate real world things and it, can, it can learns how to walk. But it's not the real world. It's just a very low fidelity simulation of the ground in gravity. Oh, so you're saying like give give these AIs like an actual like a like a training playground that's like very like undistinguishably different from the the real world. It would be basically I would have a camera of me. The AI would see me. It would already know. Hey, there's a painting behind it. There are the edges. There's a lamp over there. There are headphones. He has a beard. He's male. Here's his face. I know who that is because I can dig down into Facebook and find them or something. Right. So it knows that going in. That information is available before it even perceives the world because the engine does it for it. There's a lot of pre-processing. So it's, it's a shortcut, and the AI can focus on the learning it can focus on generating movements if it's a robot. So you can program it into a robot. Maybe you have a Raspberry Pi attached to the camera that does the pre-processing. It goes into a laptop, and the laptop only sees what it's sent via the Pi. Hmm. Yeah, and and knowing knowing all this and our previous conversation about what will be weaponized or what, what can be weaponized <laughs> will be weaponized. So I'm actually more curious about monetization but have you gone down these thought experience or thought experiments like could it be monetized could it be weaponized would it just be open source kind of like as a learning tool for people what are your thoughts on this my ideas right now and it's still in the whiteboard stage sure yeah Uh, i want to build this it will be open source if and when i build it and i'm really pushing myself to but i could see Someone else say Microsoft do is in integrating it into its cloud services. It, mm-hmm. it has a perception engine in the cloud or Amazon or Google or one of the open source cloud, whatever. Right. Yeah. Cool. That's man. That cracks open a, a whole nother uh, can of worms. Uh, as far as far as like recently I've kind of been looking at like, you know, you have this idea do you open source it or do you, do you not do that? And, you know, like for those of us that are, are motivated, you know, we want to put money in our bank account. I guess you could do it either way. Cause with the, I kind of the way that you're talking about, it's like create this thing that's so um, like amazing that the cloud providers adopted on their platforms. Like that, that's a way to get to kind of, like somewhere down the line, you're, you're going to make some money from that, I would imagine, right? I hope so. I very much hope so. Having a one-year-old is not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like creating a library, like say NumPy in Python. It doesn't make money. The things you build with it can make money. Right. So this would be a stepping stone. It would be like a library that you can import into your programming language, Python, Java, C++, whatever, and mm. then build, build something on top of that. It's, it, it would be a tool. Okay. I it would see. be a tool. Like a game engine itself is a tool. Mm. You can buy a game engine, but you're making money off of what you build with the game engine. Okay. I, I think I'm picking up what you're laying down. Thanks for sharing that. I uh, It's always thought provoking. I love sharing ideas because it just triggers more and I'm kind of like an idea 
addict. Actually, I'm curious, how do you, how do you ideate in general or, or do you kind of just get this idea and you're like hooked or do you have like a, do you, do you have like a thing you do to get that flow of ideas or I'm just, you know, deal with this how you, how you will, the question. My brain does not shut up. Okay. which is annoying at times, especially if I'm trying to sleep. Yeah. And I usually keep an email to myself open during my work hours. And I'll, and if something pops up, I'll type it in there. During cool. my lunch hour, I may research a term or the, the idea and find terms of what people have already done. So I've investigated cognitive architectures, uh, various neural network architectures and so on because of this. And I have, probably hundreds of pages of emails to myself at this point, maybe even thousands. That that's amazing though, because from a content creator perspective, you have like a, a repository to say the least to leverage. I do. Most of the ideas are junk about 99%. <laughs> uh, some just come back around. I've had lots of ambitions in my life and I dropped a lot of them. I've come back AI. I've come back to multiple times. So that's why I decided to stick to it. Yeah. Because that's just, it, I keep pulling to that. I had an idea for a role-playing game generator where it creates the world, it creates the story, the characters, the system, and you could create and sell game after game after game, like a new one every month. So it's yeah. just like a short game for $5 here, $5 there, and you can monetize that. Procedurally generated. Uh, that, that's like, game. yeah, that's, cr- that's cool, man. I, now, that, that would be a task, certainly, but that is a cool concept. I, I had all sorts of ideas where it would generate the music behind it based on where your character is or walking through. It would, it would progress the enemies as you go along, but there are limitations. There's actually a book on procedural, procedurally generated narratives that is one of the hundreds of books on my Amazon wish list right now. Hmm. And I would love to pick that up and see what they have done with that. Yeah, it, it's almost like, um, like let's say there was a perception engine that had learned all, like ingested all this information. It's almost like it could assist in like, pers- like really creative, procedurally generated worlds. Like, or, or could you argue against that? I think that could be one use. Mm-hmm. I think there are many, many potential uses that I have not even thought of for a perception engine. I hope to explore that one day. <laughs> and maybe once I have that, up and about also working on my role-playing game generator as well nice now this uh, it's cool man it's a really cool thought experiment and i'm uh thankful that you're so open to share these ideas because it i mean there's no way i would have ever uh even gone down that path of like (laughs) i don't know that's what it's a rabbit hole i love those so uh thank you Uh, what topics are often misunderstood by the masses about AI? It's not that smart. It is not that smart. There was a paper fairly recently in the last year or so where if you change a handful of pixels, it thinks a dog is an ostrich. And it's like, really? Really? It's, they're not that smart. It's as smart as the data that you give it, smart as the architecture that you use. Hmm. So, I mean, some jobs will be lost. Any tech, any new technology will accomplish that, unfortunately. That's why I'm not a big fan of robotic process automation, even though that's the group I'm in at work for some reason, even though I don't work 
in it at all. That is a huge threat to jobs more than AI is. I don't think of RPA as AI, but, and then people are worried about Terminator. Ooh, he's gonna kill us all. And, and then humanity is gone or we'll be slaves. Or No, it thinks the dog is an emu. No, <laughs> no. And someone, I saw a talk where someone said that a true AI is a hundred Nobel prizes away. And there are no Nobel prizes heading even in that direction yet. We're a good century plus away. People say 10 years, people say 20 years. I mean, where's, where's the HAL 9000? That was supposed to be around 20 years ago now. Where are the flying cars? Everything's always 10 years away. And in 10 years, it'll still be 10 years away. I look forward to autonomous vehicles as much as anybody else, but it doesn't always recognize that a person is crossing the road. Yeah. Yeah. And, or, and then a deer jumps out. I mean, the, the, it's the real world is too complex still, which is another reason to have my perception engine, to be honest, is civilized things, but not too much. Like Einstein said, keep things simple, but not any simpler. One of my favorite quotes from him. But the real world, I mean, we can barely handle the real world sometimes. I just want to sit in a dark room and do nothing for an hour every now and then, or walk through the woods and ignore the real world. Yeah. I, I mean, and here we are programming something not quite as smart as us to be able to handle the real world, even teams of us. No, not yeah. for a long, long time. Man, that's it's crazy. It's it's crazy. So, are, is it safe to say there's a there's a lot of hype around it, or some of it? I mean, justified is the is the hype justified? <laughs> I guess is my question. Hype is really justified, and there are areas that no one knows about that should be hyped more. And that is a huge problem with AI. Ooh, it's gonna solve everything. It's going to take us to work, and we can knit on during the commute, or read a book, or sleep some more, or whatnot. Um, oh no, AI is gonna take my job away from me. It might um, invest in yourself some more. Uh, that is a huge defense against being replaced. Go deeper. Go broader. Go somewhere. But do something. Stop. Don't ever stop moving. The hype is what caused the first two AI winters. And but yeah, explain explain that. I saw that in the pre-interview. I know what a Bitcoin winner is. <laughs> the first AI winter was when people thought, "Ooh, if we just build a logic system, we'll have a true AI." That didn't happen. Uh, we weren't there yet. Computing power wasn't ready yet. And research funding dried up for a couple decades. It picked back up in the 80s with some more neural network architectures. We still couldn't do more than maybe one hidden layer all that well. And right around this time, the tech bubble, when I was in college learning this stuff, we had our second AI winter. And that held me back with AI. I didn't go into it then. I ended up doing data migration work, a lot of data work, which I think still helped me toward AI. And so I started picking back up again and AI is coming up again, but it's being monetized now. Research is through the roof. Hobbyists can, can do crazy things. It's amazing. And I don't see any AI winter coming anytime soon. Yeah. Even though there are 
dramatic limitations with our current tech, we haven't we haven't quite reached them yet. And new things will pop up in the meantime to keep us going. Hmm. Yeah, you brought up something funny about how like uh, like where we think we'll be in ten years. Like they make <laughs> movies about it and stuff. I was recently watching Blade Runner, and it was like in the year twenty nineteen. <laughs> Or Back to the Future, or (laughs) love the movies, but back in the day, the then CEO of, I want to say, IBM or General Electric saying, there will be at most six computers in the world. Yeah. And and now we laugh. They're in our pockets. They're on our watch. They're in our watches. They're in our glasses with Google Glasses, in our TV. They're in our toasters. I mean, the world is a crazy place. It's getting crazier day by day. There's so much to it. And if you think you know what's going to happen in 10 years, whether it's the singularity or whatnot, no, you don't. It's a guess. It's as valid as any of my guesses, maybe more so in your area of expertise. But things will pop up in other areas that will affect your area, and you will not be 100% correct. And if you are, uh, tell me some louder numbers, please. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's the only thing that is safe to say in that scenario is something along the lines of whatever you think is going to happen, you're probably like there's a like some major delusion going on there. Like uh, any any way you dice it up. Yes, there. I mean, world events affect everything. We have the coronavirus now. Nine eleven changed the world dramatically. Just so many things throughout history that no one predicted it happened and the future is rewritten from what it would have been. Yeah. And it can be big events. It can be small events. Um, if I had, if I had done a few things differently, I would never have met my wife. I would probably still be single. I wouldn't have my son and my life would be different. It would not be nearly what it is now. And I probably would not be here uh, in a podcast. I would still be alive. I hope. <laughs> No, I, I, I hear it's like the trajectory. There's, there's these little elements that just completely change the trajectory of outcomes. And I guess, let me crack open this can of worms real quick. So when it comes to, so it's no secret that AI has to have some sort of data to train on, but also since, you know, we have just, just opened this up, like there's certain things, like if you're doing time series analysis, for example, and you know that there's these things in history, that's like, well, that happened and it changed everything. Outliers. Yeah. Out, oh, so that is that how you kind of deal with them in the... <sighs> kind of. The problem with outliers right now is that we tend to ignore them in our data mm. uh, for better or for worse. Is it really an outlier? Did it change anything else? But our, a lot of our data doesn't depend on the other data. So linear regression, they don't depend too much on each other for the most part. Or if it does, it's not represented in the data. With time series analysis, then it becomes more pronounced. But the butterfly effect pertains to the future events as well as change in the past by time traveling and killing your grandfather or stopping Lee Harvey Oswald or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, I, I don't even know. I don't even know how to crack open that can of worms. <laughs> I love paradoxes. I love thinking about time travel, but I mean, fiction messes it up and creates paradoxes and like, no, that's not how it's done. Even though I don't know how it's done. Yeah. But stop that. You know, you bring up the, the time travel thing, probably like the, like my most favorite, 
like fiction time travel thing was Donnie Darko. I don't know if you ever saw that. I've seen that. I used to own a copy of it. That is a weird, weird it is movie. Weird, I don't quite get it. I only watched it one time. It's hard to wrap my mind around. But I honestly can't tell you what my favorite time travel book or movie would be. Back to the Future has its own issues, unfortunately, yeah. as much as I enjoyed that. Uh, or Terminator. Um, but, yeah, so many roads to go down with that. Yeah, there is. I, I could agree with that. So I, I'm curious, um, what is a hot button that you think the masses need to become educated on with regard to AI ethics? And maybe we already touched on this, but I just... Garbage in, garbage out. If you give it bad data, biased data, if you, if you leave data out, it affects the output. And it affects the decisions that it makes or tells you to make. So there have been studies about how, okay, we're studying faces. The majority of the faces were white. That is an issue because there are a lot of people with darker skin tones than you and I. Uh, and, or slightly different facial features based on genetic diversity all over the world. So the output wasn't as good as they had hoped when users outside of the input data started using it. So, like I said, garbage in, garbage out. You need to have a good representation of data. Now, there's uh, something called one-shot learning where you give it one example, and it's able to extrapolate a pretty decent output from that. There's zero-shot learning, which I'm very interested in. Personally, I would like to. I'm a huge fan of reinforcement learning, where it, it continues, where it keeps learning. There are limitations with that still, but there have been amazing results with reinforcement learning. And if I wanted to specialize, it would probably be in that. But even then there are subspecialties. So your deep audio example from earlier is part of reinforcement learning, well, deep learning. Uh, so you can do audio, you can do visual, you can do text, you can do so many things, so many mm -hmm. different kinds of patterns. Yeah, you, you also just kind of touched on something like, if you were to specialize, maybe you would go down this route. Like there's the, there's this two schools of thought, you know, go, uh, uh, well, yeah, you know, you, I think you're already on to what I'm saying here. Specialization so. versus generalization. Yeah. And it's people sometimes see that as black or white. It's, it's a range. You're somewhere in the range. It's probably a normal distribution where most people are somewhere in the middle. And I like being a generalist. I have so many interests, so many 20 lifetimes worth of interests, unfortunately. And it's hard to stay with AI because I want to go over here. And I want to go over there again, repeat stuff I've done before, start all over again. But I, there's room for both, both extremes, uh, plenty of room in the middle. If you have a team of a team working with AI, you want a team of different specialists. You want your data engineer or a couple of them to prepare the data so it's ready to be used. You want your statisticians or your machine learning experts or your data scientists to take the prepared data and work with it. You need people who, who 
are good with visualization, storytelling to bring it to the business, but you also have room for generalists. If you have someone managing your AI team, they need to know a little bit about each of those to better manage the team or to direct better or to be able to coach better or to not negotiate, but keep people working together. Uh, an AI architect needs to be more of a generalist so they can say, you should probably do this. You should probably do supervised learning based on this data, but you need this person to do this. You need, you need this person to do this. I know a little bit, but you need special to, special specialists, excuse me. And you need both. I like being a generalist. I love going deep into here, then coming over to here, into audio, into video, into deep fakes, into basic linear regression, which is just more stats uh, than anything else. Mm -hmm. Neural networks, I love neural networks. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of makes me wonder um, if somebody is more inclined to be a generalist, like it's just something that they gravitate towards. I could see a natural challenge being like, okay, I've got 50 options of where I could go spend some, you know, spare time learning something or something like that. How do you deal with analyzing opportunity costs and like ultimately where you focus? So, cause somewhere down the line, you're only reading one book or book writing one article. Yeah. Yes. Opportunity cost is the great equalizer for things. And at different times I do different things. I have the Kindle app on my phone. I so, love the Kindle app. Oh, if I can't sleep at night and I don't want to get up, I'll lay in bed under the covers, reading something on that. I That's better for non-technical work, obviously. It's hard to code on your phone, too, so that's not going to work too well. Yeah. If I get up, I'll come down. I'll do some code work because it's quiet. I can focus. There's no background noise at all. But it's it's difficult. It's so difficult. I gave you some resources to keep on top of things. Know who to follow. If you have, if you are interested in area, do a deep dive. Do a project in that area. That gives you a lot of knowledge. Uh, find people to talk to. If you're able to go to a conference and go to a workshop in the area, do it. And then, but keep reading in the background. Listen to podcasts. I know a good one right now. <laughs> and keep up with other areas until you're saturated with where you did your deep dive go back catch back up on everything get your new interests again deep dive into that and that will build your expertise in a breadth and depth at the same time yeah that's really cool i like uh uh the system that you kind of created uh that I, I think so, people that are resonating with kind of like hey i feel like i'm a little bit of a generalist like it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's uh, embrace it. Like there's, we need, we need generalists. We need specialists. They facilitate different roles. And ultimately we need what gets you fired up. You know, one downside about being a specialist specialist is that if you, if that specialty is not needed anymore, you're out of a job and you have no other specialty to draw upon. Yeah. So like Risky. back when, when we started driving cars, how many horseshoers were needed at that point? That's all you did. You took care of horses. People aren't buying horses. They don't need you to take care of horses. Now it's a, it's a niche working with horses anymore. It's a hobby or it is a profession for some people. But 
if you're a mechanic, you better know how to fix more than just one thing because if we can ever re re replace the transmission with something else or completely change it around, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Uh, once, a once we have self-driving vehicles, then we don't need chauffeurs quite as much. Maybe a niche here and there, we won't need Uber drivers, so everybody, uh, or Lyft, or taxis. Um, I will, personally, I would love to see more of that because if you integrate everything together, you will take the fastest route from point A to point B, as is everybody else, and it's nonstop. It'll weave around everything. There's no red lights anymore, no stop signs, everything. Ooh, no stop signs. That sounds nice. I, we have, we, it, I live like, you know, 15 minutes away from work, but, uh, nice. with, all the, with all the, um, <laughs> I guess my perception of traffic is very different. Cause when I go to like Phoenix or some city, I'm just like, what world did I just enter? <laughs> but, uh, no, that'd be, that'd be a cool concept. It, it would be amazing where maybe you don't even own a vehicle. You have a subscription right. service. There's okay. I need a single person vehicle right now, or I need one with a car seat because I have my son with me. I need to take all this stuff with me. So let's pack it into this cargo vehicle that follows behind us or something. Yeah. And, and you basically rent the vehicle. You don't even own a vehicle anymore unless you're a hobbyist who goes to this area where you can drive around on the track or, or whatnot, or this, this area where, like now people live off the grid. Maybe that's the new off the grid where you drive your own car or something. Or <laughs> I mean, there's so many ways we could, we could go with this. Who knows what the future will bring or how long it'll take to get there. Yeah. You had, you had mentioned something about the cloud or the Kindle uh, uh, app. And I think one of the coolest things about that app is the highlighting thing where it'll tell you like 12,000 people have highlighted this area. I make sure that doesn't pop up because then really? I, can't, okay. I can't focus, but I can see where people have underlined. I pay more attention to that. Yeah. I don't highlight much myself. I read it. And I might reread it later on. Uh, there are certain books I love to reread over and over again, mm -hmm. and it's different every time, uh, both fiction and nonfiction. But I don't use every feature of the Kindle app. I, the highlighting it's kind of nice, but it kind of breaks the immersion while I'm, I'm trying to read because again, I have a limited amount of time. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. Just depending on what your end goal is, I guess. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it certainly is a cool app and the books are cheaper. So that is nice, but then you spend more cause you're buying more books and you don't always <laughs> read everything. I have probably two or 300 books on my Kindle app. Oh wow. Okay. And I've read a portion of them. Yeah. No, I, I, I am in the same in the same boat. I don't know if I have 300, but I hear you. It's <laughs> it's too easy to start and pick I, around. And I used to own 1,700 physical books. Okay. Then I got married and we needed a nursery, so I'm down to maybe 150, and that hurt a lot. Yeah. I won't say I read a majority of the books. Some were reference documents or interests I wanted to go into, and then went into something else, different mm -hmm. ambitions. But I owned a lot of books. It sounds heavy, like like physically, physically there was a lot of weight to carry around. My friends hated helping me move. I went from apartment <laughs> to apartment. When I bought this house, I moved, all my books went upstairs. Yeah. My friends hated me. Oh, wow. They, were, they told me point blank, I'm never moving you again. Never doing this. You better <laughs> like this place. That's funny, man. Yeah, I, uh, oh man, books, books are, I have a special 
I, I have a little library going. I love uh, digging into them, but I've actually recently become obsessed, I guess you could call it, on like, what is the right way to read a book? Like you, okay, it's no secret there's a zillion books out there. So <laughs> over the course of like your lifetime, you have to be strategic. If you're obsessive like, like this, like I am about this, you have to be strategic about what you read. And then how are you maximizing that? You know, it, it's not just okay to read 50 books a year or whatever. Like, what are you doing with it? You know, there is a book called how to read a book by Mortimer Adler. I think it is. I used to okay. own a copy back before the purge. <laughs> yeah. And it talked about what kind of books should you just glance at? What kind of books should you read certain parts of? What should, what kind of books should you just read every single word and study it? And it depends on what you want to do. Obviously everybody's different. What your interests are. I mean, reference books, you don't usually read those front cover to back cover. I have read a C++ reference book, 600 pages front to back. Uh, C++ has moved on since then, so it's not useful. And I don't own the book anymore, but I have done it. I do not recommend it. It was a fun summer. I'm, I'm a very exciting person, obviously. <laughs> But there are books you really should read front cover to back cover. You will gain so much from them. Other books, you need a chapter. Go to the library. Um, my local book, my local library, not book, is part of a system where you can get books from anywhere in the state, from university oh. libraries and so on. And it's a great system. They're very big on you getting giving their books back on a timely basis on like a local library and uh, their stash. But your local library likely has the same thing. Look into it. If you live near a university, you can probably get a membership to their library as well. And that is a huge resource. You don't need to always buy the books. I keep yeah. telling myself that almost every day. <laughs> there are books I want that local libraries just will not carry, which includes a lot of technical books or AI books or content science books. Mm -hmm. One book I want to buy, I need to buy, is Rebooting AI. That's a fairly recent book. I, from what I've heard, the, I'm th I think along the same lines as the author, and it, it does a lot with both cognitive science and AI. I want to get in the book. I probably will buy for the Kindle at some point. Once, but I want to read at least one of the books I already have on the Kindle first to help justify it. We'll see. Yeah, that I think that's that's huge. Don't forget about the local library as a, a awesome resource. You don't have to buy the books. I I think I might even adopt that myself. I should put it on a plaque and hang it on my wall. To be <laughs> honest, I need the reminder. Yeah, no, that's that's cool, man. Thank you for the reminder, uh, right there too. <laughs> um, so I wanted to dig in a little bit to the tactics uh, that you've kind of just acquired. Uh, or insight you have on tactics from just operating in the trenches, your life experience in this space. So I was curious, um, why do you think, why is Python in the study of its data structures kind of like the ultimate place you would start from scratch on becoming a profitable AI practitioner? To be able to do AI, you have to be able to produce something if you want to monetize it, especially. Mm. Otherwise you're just a philosopher. <laughs> but you need to be able to code. Python is easy 
to get into, especially if you know other languages already. There are so many amazing libraries already in Python to take a lot of the work and just default it for you. And that will get you to your minimally viable product, your, your MVP, which is a great start. You can then analyze, find out where, where you need to dig down and data structures will help you think about that to help you get rid of your, <clears throat> your bottlenecks. Uh, or if you need to write some C code, a link to the C code, which a lot of libraries already do for you to help speed things up. Mm -hmm. So to, be, to create AI, you need to be able to be at least a good coder, if not a great coder. Data structures and algorithms will help you with that. Yep, so simple enough. Thank you for sharing that. And what is overly difficult, you think, about uh, just AI for newbies? Like what should be avoided for them? If you want to be a practitioner in AI, do the minimum amount of math, but and only dig deeper when you absolutely need to. I, will, I want to dig down deeper into the math myself. It's about a lot of time where you're not coding, you're not reading up on, on the latest. And it only really helps if you go into AI research or want to create a new algorithm or ex expand what other people have done. Then it's, it's better to know the math. Mm. And it's a lot of stats, probability, calculus, and linear algebra. Those, those are the ones you should probably focus on. Get the basics down. Um, I recommend a book right here called Artificial Intelligence Engines. It, it's all about the math at a higher level. It gets you to where you need to be. Other books have a section or a couple chapters on the math needed for that book at least. Great place to start. There are online classes offered for free. Get the basics down, but don't obsess with the math. Yeah. Get hands on. And mm -hmm. there are great books for that, speaking of. This book came out last year. Um, it is highly recommended. It's hands on machine learning. It gives you a couple of the main libraries work through the code, focus on the code, get, get your hands dirty, publish the code, extend the code. If you just do what's in the book, you publish it, so have a lot of other people. Extend it, change it, play with it, know the code, know where its weaknesses are, figure out ways around them, read up on ways around them, get your hands dirty. Mm, yeah, that's, that's awesome advice. Uh, sometimes that's a little scary, but uh, bottom like line scary. is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to overcome our fears. That's the that's the that's the game. Uh, well, and we might have actually uh, well. So, what advice do you have for someone to combat their work, kind of controlling their life? Because I know that's a path that can creep up pretty quick if you're not, um, uh, you know, if you're not in control. And that's so easy. Ooh, I need you to work on this, this, and this. Like. Okay, and then two years later, I'm, you're still doing it. You're still tied to it. And you've lost two years of your life that you will never get back. And you're now the expert. It's hard to get out of an area where you are the person to go to. It really is. I spent most of my work life in data, which at least is related to AI. That helps a lot. It gives me a different sort of perspective than people who go straight into AI or focus on only machine learning and so on. Mm -hmm. which can be very, very useful when transitioning, as I'm finding out uh, these days. But 
see if you can change roles, work with your company first and foremost. I am part of a consulting firm, a multinational consulting firm. I can change roles. I can change clients. I have opportunities. It's not easy, but I have them. If you work directly for a company, you will want to see if you can change departments, which can be scary because you're now the new guy. You're the one bringing the coffee donuts in the morning. But don't let the fear get in the way. Make the change. It's scary. The grass is not always greener on the other side. We may only think it is. You can fall back you, and you will still gain things from your sojourn into a different area and bring it back to your old role. But take the dive. Do it. Just do it. Yeah, that that's awesome. Uh, I just there's yeah there's always a way to like if you're not if you're not happy with something <clears throat> or you see yourself going down this path kind of what i'm getting from you is there's always make, a way make yeah. the path make the path i love here, here, it here's your machete get chopping <laughs> nice oh uh, what advice let's see uh or actually what are some ways that you found to invest in yourself that really made a huge impact like is there a strategic way to go about it That is a very good question and a very difficult thing to answer. <clears throat> How best to invest in yourself? Limit yourself in a way. Don't follow everybody on LinkedIn. Follow a, a small number of people. Follow the people who are moving in your direction. Stay with them. Limit the number of books you read. Focus on where you want to be. Read the books that help you in that direction. Avoid paths that take you this way or that way or backwards. Avoid those as much as possible unless you're at a dead end mm. and your machete is not cutting it. <clears throat> but yeah. but th there's always a way backtracking. Backtrack if you have to. Go around obstacles if you need to, but move in the general direction as much as you can take those hidden minutes. Are you waiting in line at, at a grocery store? It's a long line. We all have been to those stores. There's almost every store anymore. The big box stores specifically with their five cashiers with the 30 registers and, and such. But, <laughs> but take out your phone, read a couple more pages of that book. Um, <clears throat> read what your, read what people are posting on LinkedIn, read the article, read the summary of a paper or two bookmark the paper to read later if you think it's worth reading uh, because everybody else is looking at their phones anyway, playing the game, checking Facebook, make better use of your time. Mm. Yeah, that's, that is uh, not, that's, I didn't see us going there with that question, <laughs> but that makes a lot of sense. Like there, there is a way to be strategic and that's like where you want to start. The minutes add up to hours and hours are made up of minutes. So all these small steps you take add up to something big, but you have to take the steps and every big accomplishment is made of those small steps. So take those small steps. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't distract yourself. Yeah. And I love that remark. You basically were saying like, be choosy. Like it's, Oh, it's, it's good to be choosy about, uh, and, and not everything is on the menu to order from like you make the menu very small. Mm -hmm. I like that. 
Yeah, it helps you focus. It keeps you moving forward. Fewer distractions. We we consume far too much these days. We produce yeah. a lot less. I feel than we used to. The more you produce, the more you can produce. The better things you will produce. Try to consume less and produce more. Yeah, I love it. So thank thank you for taking that uh, taking that route. That was really cool. Um, what are some tactics that the audience could borrow when considering an opportunity to invest in themselves? So do you have like, I guess the algorithm that you just discussed, is there, I, I'm, I'm more interested in like your like clarity, like, like when, when opportunities arise, you, you say hell yes or hell no. Like, like what is your algorithm for filtering? I guess. Well, it is a recursive algorithm, actually. Okay. <laughs> so first, find, find what meaning you want from your life. Choose your meaning before someone else chooses it for you and focus on that direction. So I want to do X, Y, and Z in my life. Okay, I have a direction. 10 years, where do I need to be? Where do I want to be to have moved in that direction? Okay, so let's focus on that 10 years. Okay, now let's scale it back to two years. What actions do I need to do in those two years to make it up to those 10 years to make it up to those lifetime goals? Okay, let's scale it back even more. What do I need to do in the next month? Would it help if I read this book? What kind of paper should I be reading? Okay, let's scale it back to today. What should I do today? What one thing can I do, at least one thing, to move in that direction? Do I need to take a break before I burn myself out, before I hit the wall? And so take the break, go for that walk through the woods, go take, make the trip, go to the beach, relax. Just if you need to take a break, take the break, but get back into it as soon as you can, as soon as you're recharged. If you need to visit with friends to keep up those relationships, do it. Spend time with your spouse, with your kids. Always make sure to, to have time uh, up for them. And, but always move in that direction. Bring a book with you. I bring it to my doctor's appointments while I'm sitting there so I can release the, at least read a few pages of the book. Mm, yeah. And I, I know pre-interview you had mentioned uh, the strength, strength finder, basically this whole initiative to like know thyself. And, <laughs> and so how, I guess that, that must be influenced like the, what you learned from, from that must be kind of influencing how you're, doing your like establishing your goals and and that sort of thing i would imagine i like the strengths finder they are labels labels do limit you so you be careful with that with any personality test whether it's useful or not they limit you they limit how you think about yourself or other people i mentioned how communication is my lowest scoring one which and which i'm not happy with that because you need to be able to communicate your ideas and in other research, they break, they break the strengths into four categories. You may have read about that as well. And all five of my top five are in the same category, strategic thinking. Hmm. So that means I'm not the best with people, which I already knew. I'm not the best communicator. But I have my strengths. I should focus on them and work with people who've, who have different strengths. And we can work together and in this case, one plus one equals three, not two. Right. Yeah. The whole, 
Uh, I, I've been recently drinking a lot of Kool-Aid from the seven habits of highly effective people book. And, yes. uh, that one of those cons, like what you just touched on one plus one equals three type thing mm-hmm. is this whole synergize comp, uh, the, 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 uh, or one of the habits is called synergize and mm-hmm. they, and they're basically talking about that. So yeah, I'm super on board with that. Um, do you, are you a proponent? It sounds like for, finding your strengths and doubling down on those and whatever your weaknesses are know about them, but don't improve them or like around them. Okay. Uh, I still joined Toastmasters. Okay. I still need some communication skills and (laughs) I believe I am better. Podcasts are a good way to itch that scratch. As scary as this is. (laughs) Yes. And I admit my anxiety is up there somewhere. Oh, you're doing great, man. This is, this has been excellent. But work around them as much as you can, minimize them as much as you can, find people to synergize with, and keep moving forward, double down, because you are your strengths. I mean, what you do is what you do, and just keep moving forward. Use what you can do best to move forward, be- move forward faster, more mm-hmm. concretely, and live your life and do something with it. Yeah, I I love it so much. And I guess before we leave this thread, I just I want to ask like what is your so do you believe like that strengths finder thing is that like a snapshot in time or is that something that you should be revisiting if if so like how often you should you be kind of like uh taking an inventory of like where you're at with your skills? Do you have any insight on that? With the strengths finder itself, they say no that it won't change maybe a couple movements. I've taken it three times. Okay. There's been a lot of the same things in the top five. Three of the top five have not changed except for maybe ordering. Some have changed a lot. So I honestly do not know. Okay. If I took it again, it would likely be a little bit different, but it is what it is. It informs you. It should not define you. Uh, yeah, that's, I think that's the key. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. And, um, well, shoot, man, that's, I, I guess we'll just move on to the next question. You did a damn good job on that one. Okay. Um, yeah, I am curious. I know you had mentioned, uh, like, sometimes you just want to, like, escape. Like, go to the dark room, go walk, go on a walk or something like that. So what are some tactics that the audience could learn uh, from your, your uh, experience with carving out that time, that alone time, each day to recharge? Like, is there a way to optimize it? Um, is it even for everyone? Like, I'm just kind of, I'm really kind of curious in general about that remark that you made. That gets to the introvert versus extrovert divide, which Mm. is, which is a range. I mean, do I act like an introvert right now? Not really. Mm -hmm. You can pretend to be the other because you are a mix of the two. An introvert basically needs to recharge with fewer people around, whereas an extrovert recharges with more people around. They're the ones who can party for five hours straight and they are only drained when they go home by themselves. Mm -hmm. But I need my alone time. I lived by myself for several years. I'm used to my alone time. And sometimes I'll wake up an hour early. I can come downstairs. I can read some fiction. I can just troll Facebook a little bit. I can be productive and actually code a little bit. And I just take the minutes that I can, my drive to wherever I'm going. I have certain radio stations I listen to. And 
that helps that helps take my mind off of things, helps me recharge and helps me to be a better person. Cool. Yeah, I've I've heard other uh things that you might be able to fill the space with. Like some people really like to journal or meditate. Like, do you see those as tools that kind of help recharge or like I know it's different for everyone, but I'm just curious for you, like, do you use tools like that to recharge or learn about yourself or reflect? Uh, I mentioned before how I keep an email to myself Ah, and that is basically my form of journaling. I write down my thoughts and I try not to edit them. I try to keep things going. I'll make a list of things, a list of topics to look up later. And I feel better when I do that. I actually stopped doing it for a while. I just got back into it two or three weeks ago and I'm, I'm happier for that. But basically I've, not really tried yoga. Um, I know it's good for the body and for the mind. Meditation has been shown to be good for the mind. I don't take any spiritual, anything spiritual away from those personally, but they are good ways to recharge, to relax for the right people. Other people need to go for a walk through the woods. I love doing that, but I live in Michigan and you do not want to walk through the woods right now. It is cold outside. (laughs) Now that, that, that makes a lot of sense as far as like reflecting on your, your unique kind of journaling methodology, do you reflect or is it more of like, I just need to kind of, well, for lack of better words, like kind of puke this stuff out in its raw form and, and job is done. Or do you, do you work with it later or like, yeah, I'm just, there's you know. a lot of puke. Yes. Okay. There's actually a lot of puke. It's mostly junk that, and, but there are certain things I will revisit as like, I wrote that. Oh, don't delete, don't delete, don't delete. But it's all saved in my Gmail. It's all saved in my Hotmail, wherever I said, and I can search it later. It's like, okay, yeah. I talked about this a couple of times. Let's go back and reread that. It's like, oh, I forgot about that. Let's think about that again. And that's how my perception engine keeps coming up. My role playing game generator was something I talked about to myself for months. I think better when I talk to myself, whether on paper or out loud, usually while I'm walking around. So it's, it's usually a combination of those. Yeah. Oh man. That's, you know, the more I think about it, it's a really clever way of doing things because you are, you basically have like a Google search engine to sort through your journal. Like that's a cool way of going about it. It can help to revisit thoughts, to re brainstorm, to think, oh, I lost track of what I was doing. What was I thinking before? Let's change that around and try it this way now and let's not reach the dead end. Yeah, damn. That's really cool. I'm, uh, there's, a, there's a chance I might just be borrowing that dia, idea going forward. Please do. So, yeah. Please do. <laughs> so yeah, and the, another nut that I wanted to uh, just crack open here, I was curious. So, so pre-interview, you had mentioned that you're, uh, you recently – did the Mensa test. And I, I know nothing really about this. So is it, um, like a, I was curious, like, what are your, what were your motivations or do you have to be like invited? Like how do we even crack open this can of worms for, for people that maybe have never even heard of Mensa? Mensa is a group you can join if you have, if you're in the top 2% of IQ whatever you think of IQ and I have my own personal definition of it, excuse me. 
and they they have various tests that they have refined over decades now. They have cultural fair tests, which is great that they offer that now. I'm so, so happy. So it's broader for, for people. And you actually take a series of tests. If you score high enough on any of them, you are invited to join, but they do not bother you about joining or not. My wife and I like taking these tests. She loved taking uh, Strengths Finder, and she was not surprised by the results. She's a very introspective person. But in this past fall, we took the Mensa test. We were the only people there for the scheduled test. And there were six tests total. My wife passed one of them, and I pa actually passed five out of the six tests. <laughs> we did We did not think we passed anything when we left. We were shocked. Really? Shocked. Was, was it a, like, was the experience fun or like why, like, I was just curious, like the motivation, like when you, like, did you were just like, I want to see what these tests are all about or yeah. Like just share, share with me a little bit about that, I guess. We enjoy taking tests like that IQ tests, doing puzzles. And that's basically what that is what this was. It was different kinds of puzzles. Some you flew through some, were more challenging because it's not how you how your brain processes processes patterns or anything. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of fun. We enjoyed doing it. Our the people who gave us the product of the test were fabulous. We talked with them for thirty minutes after the fact, a little bit before, and it was a fun experience. And it's not for everybody. I mean, to pay to join a club is kind of odd, even if even if you get to qualify first. We did not actually join. We have a one-year-old, he eats a ball of our money. <laughs> if he finds on the floor, he will literally eat, eat our money because <laughs> he's at that stage now. But it was a great experience. We waited until the test was on sale and we finally scheduled it and we did it. Yeah. Is it, do you think it helps or hurts or maybe just has no impact on like your ability to market yourself on the, in the workplace. Like how do people, how do people view that? I guess. If you pass it, it gives you a new sense of confidence. Okay. As long as you're not overconfident about it, that's great. But I, people talk me down even in my own area expertise, even when they know nothing about it, you know, the, the Dunning Kruger effect. Yeah. And it's, it's, Annoying is like, oh, everybody knows better than me. You lose a lot of confidence in yourself. You don't take the chances. You don't take those steps forward. You hold yourself back. You become the wall right. that blocks you. And this, I felt, helped take away the wall. It smashed down. Bricks went flying everywhere. The people standing on top went flying everywhere. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> but I'm not going to think, oh, I'm smart everybody. You yeah. know about things that I do not. Mm-hmm. My neighbor knows things about things that I do not. The six-year-old down the street around the corner knows things that I do not. You can learn from anybody, but anybody can learn from you as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's, that's very important to have the right level of confidence. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, love, I love the uh, response to that. It's, it's almost like, you know, none of that, none of that really matters. Like this was just like a personal win for you. Yes. Like it's, it's going to do like, it's, it's doing work and your self, like the perception of yourself. And that's kind of what you 
we're going for like for other people, maybe it's like bragging rights or something, but like that it's different, you know, fo- the, the focus is on you. Like, do you want to do this thing? Is it going to do positive things in your life? Okay, then go for it. Like if it's not, I don't know. It, that's, I love how you took the perspective of that. Cause it could be really easy to misinterpret like, Oh, he's like a Mensa guy. He must think he knows everything. No, yeah. I know very little. Part of that is my philosophy training though because you learn that you know very, very little very quickly in that. And I, if your university offers an informal logic class, I recommend taking it. It's, it makes you more humble. It teaches in, you th- that the way Informal logic? As an undergrad, I took three classes, two formal logic classes in what I call the informal logic okay. course. And I recommend that course to everybody. It teaches you about cognitive biases, how we fool ourselves. Oh, okay. And it makes you more humble in your thoughts that, no, I'm not always right. I know I'm not always right. Maybe this other person has stuff. Odds are the truth is more in the middle somewhere. Yeah. You're, it makes you more willing to listen, to not take yourself as seriously. And I think it helps make you a better person that. And the only other class I would truly recommend people take is probably an improv class. Hmm. It helps you think on your feet better. But those two classes, please take them. <laughs> yeah, that that's really cool. I, uh, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying myself here. I got, I have some closing questions. Okay. I hope you're enjoying yourself too, but very you know, much. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's always kind of, uh, like sitting in the, how do I explain this? It's like, I'm backseat, like I'm guiding the conversation. That's why, that's one reason why I love the podcast. Uh, but I'm also, I have the luxury of kind of like sitting here and listening. Like I get to reflect sometimes like when you are the doer, you don't get to reflect on things like the backseat driver does. So that's another thing that I really enjoy about these shows. And, uh, so anyway, thanks for, uh, you know, going down these thought, uh, thought paths and stuff. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Um, okay. So some closing questions for you are, what are your favorite learning resources people should look into if they want to learn deeply on AI and cognitive science? Okay. Two different areas of expertise at the moment that inform each other. So with AI, I recommend a book, the 100 page machine learning book. Okay, cool. And what's nice about that book, the author is self-published and he has a read first buy later policy. You can download the entire book and, and read it. Really? Highly recommended. Okay. If you get something from it, buy the book, help him. He's writing a second book on machine engineering right, right now that I look forward to buying sight unseen. And you can go in there and read the seven chapters he's written so far already and contribute as well. I love that. Uh, if you're going to go deep, uh, I gave you the math book earlier. And but there are others out there. There's a free one that they're trying to publish, uh, Math for Machine Learning, I think it's called. Uh, you can download the PDF for free. And then if you really want to go deep, if you really, really want to go deep, another plug for someone else's book, this book right here. Okay, yeah. It's about what, deep learning. Who's the, uh, the author of that again? This, the primary author is Ian Goodfellow. This right. book is offered free online as well. Yes. It's deep. It's math heavy. So know the math beforehand. It's code light. They expect you to be able to code based off the math since code is basically math and production. Yeah. So to speak. Hmm. So for AI, that gets you deep faster, but you have to focus, take notes, think about things. 
with the author of this book, you can reach out to him. I've talked to him in person. I've reviewed his book on LinkedIn and Amazon. He and I have spoken a little bit. I don't expect much beyond that. He's a busy guy writing, smart man. He also has a job. So I'm not going to take up his time. But in cognitive science, that is such a broad field, such a broad field. I highly recommend a developmental psychology class at your local community college so you're not putting out too much money for it or at least read through the textbook. There's some fascinating stuff in there. And I've thought back to that with my son. A week ago, I saw some great development where he had two stacking cups, the ones next to each other in sequence. It wouldn't go in. He reversed it and put the smaller one into the bigger one. He thought that through, he planned and he accomplished it. And it blew my mind. I loved that. Yeah. So I highly recommend that. Um, Good perspective. The book, Girdle Estrabach by Hofstetter. It's an older book. It's worth rereading every five or 10 years. You gain something new. It wraps your mind around itself. Every time you read it in a new way, it opens your mind to bigger thoughts, hmm. which leads to bigger dreams. And I highly, highly recommend it. It is just amazing. Okay. And beyond that, if you really love cognitive science, look at a curriculum, look at some of the books that they recommend. Mm. I know MIT's Open Coursewares has a lot of references for recommended reading, secondary reading for some of their courses. Stanford, I believe, also does a lot of the same thing. And just look for top 10 cognitive science books just to get you started. A lot of them are higher level, they don't go too deep, but you specialize in a subfield like psychology or sociology or linguistics or computer science anyway, typically, but get the high level view, read a wide variety of books for that. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for the tour there. There's, I don't, some of these questions, I don't even know how I would navigate. Like (laughs) it's an impossible task and you're doing really great. So thank you for sharing all this. Thank you. So, here is the, uh, yeah, the money question, I guess. Best <laughs> advice you ever received? Thank you to my wife for this. Just do it. Awesome. Just take that step forward, do the podcast, write the post, put, publish it on LinkedIn, write a research paper, submit it. Even if you're not a researcher, you don't even have a master's degree, let alone a PhD, submit it. The worst thing they do is say, ha, 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 oh, well. Who cares? You lose nothing and you gain something for it down. Do it. Just do something. Yeah. I, I love it. Execution is, I don't know. There's, yeah, there's some, there's some, uh, I think it's like a Mark Cuban quote or something like that, but it's like <laughs> ideation versus execution and, and people have it often very backwards. Like it needs to be all about execution. Um, yeah. So that's your wife sounds like an amazing human as well. So she is. Tell her, tell her, thank you for the best advice ever received. <laughs> uh, most important non-technical book to read in 2020. Okay. Old recommendation is, again, Gerdel Shabak. And then I have a book on my Kindle called Ultra Learning by Scott Young. I talked to him back before he really got going. He, he's a prolific blogger. He does coaching now. He writes books. But this gives you a lot of great advice for digging deep into something in a short amount of time, for finding the time, recommended study techniques in general. 
his experience with it, all the people's experience with it. Great book. Okay. I'm partway through it already. I want to finish it. Maybe that'll be the book I finish on my Kindle uh, before I, I get the, the rebooting AI book. But there are a lot of great books. Uh, Kobe's book, you mentioned uh, Seven Habits is a good one. Uh, take something from it. Don't live your life by any one book. Everybody has a different perspective. But just get out there and read. People need to read more. Read a variety of things. Uh, Brain Rules is a great book. Brain Rules? Brain, brain Rules. I forget the author. Okay. But it's a great book about how the brain works, and it gives you a great perspective, practical expect perspective and he wrote one brain rules for babies about things you can do before birth like reading to your kid in this playing music newborn up to a, a couple years old and i read that while my wife was pregnant and that was an eye-opener i hope it made me a better parent uh if not charlie i apologize <laughs> but yes uh, a lot of great books out there so many to read so many i need, I need more time i need another 48 hours in the day to read all these books or maybe to get more sleep. Finally. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That, that's awesome. Thank you very much for uh, the book ideas. So I'm curious uh, going into 2020, is there like a handful of programming languages that you would maybe recommend to prioritize? I know we talked about Python. Python is big in the AI and data science world these days, machine learning, because if nothing else, because it's a general language, you can use it for other things. And because of the sheer number of libraries, I will be digging deeper into Python, but you need to gain other perspectives. Don't learn similar languages, learn different languages. Uh, I recommend going a little bit lower with C. What the bonus about C is that you can extend Python or, or you can use C++, either or. Both are still used. If you wanna do embedded programming, you need to learn C anyway. Uh, if you really want to focus in the machine learning space and data science stats, learn a bit of R at least. I've dabbled in R. There's a free version of MATLAB called Octave. I did that for the classic machine learning course on Coursera. I enjoy that a lot. Uh, if you want to go out there and really get something, a whole new perspective, learn Lisp. It's an, it's an old language now. You'll never use it in production, most likely. But Python borrows from it for some of its, like, uh, its Lambda expressions, which I'm still wrapping my, my mind on what you can do with that. But Lisp is a great language for really digging deeper into how machines work. And it is the classic AI language as well. Okay. But it, it's interesting. If you really want to go crazy, learn assembly. Okay. <laughs> I recently had somebody on here who was uh, uh, talking about like, like, okay, so assembly is, is pretty much like, um, like Fortran. Is that, is that what I'm talking about? Or what are you talking about? Assembly is where you write to hardware. Okay. Directly. Fortran is another language like Pascal or C++ or whatnot with, with a different focus. But when you compile a language like C++, C++, Pascal, Fortran, it compiles into, into assembly code. And, that, oh, and then that's okay. translated again into machine code, ones and zeros. And mm -hmm. That is what is executed. 
So just going right to the assembly is like as low level as it gets. I, or- that's as low level as the human mind can really do. You do not want to be typing ones and zeros. That's back to punch card days. Yeah. We, <laughs> let's stay away from, uh, from the punch cards, please. But I, I, it would not be a bad idea to learn a bit of assembly. You will be a better programmer for it. Hmm. You really learn how it works under the hood. But you... C is low enough for the vast majority of people. I do recommend learning C on top of Python. You will still gain something and it can still be useful. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome insight. Never considered that, but um, it's an easy, I, I know like, what is it? Uh, NumPy, mm-hmm. basically like that's how they speed things up. Um, so it kind of makes sense. NumPy, Pandas for reading in data, SciPy for doing a lot of the math behind it. And a lot of those link to C libraries to speed up the computation as well. Mm, Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So, uh, knowing all the crazy rabbit holes we (laughs) went down today, what is like the thing that you want people to kind of leave the interview with? Is there some like... Last words, no. <laughs> okay, final words before I abscond. Um, don't build without a solid foundation. Be the type of person you want your kids to become, which is my personal parenting philosophy, but it's good advice overall anyway. Keep it short and simple. Life is complicated enough. Do not make it more so, please. Produce more, consume less, I think is probably one of the big ones. Don't be afraid to start over. A lot of people do and be, and then hit their stride. It's never too late and you're never too old. I'm turning 40 this year and I'm moving into a different field. I'm actually going to work work in AI. I hope, we'll see. And try to enjoy life. Life is short, it's messy, it's painful at times. There are a lot of great people, a lot of great places. Go walk through a trail, go travel go rest on the beach, ski down the mountain slope, enjoy life, read the book. I don't care if it's some trashy romance novel or some Asimov or one of the books I've held up here, read the book, relax, hug your spouse or your SO or your parent or your kid because it's not going to last. Enjoy life. Heck yeah, man. That's, uh, that's, uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to know, uh, what is your call to action? Like where do people, is there, is there anything we want to, uh, direct them towards to one of your socials to a special cause close to your heart? What is your call, your call to action? I am mostly on LinkedIn. So that's the best place to get a hold of me. I'm on Facebook. I'm not a big fan of Facebook. I'm trying to wean myself off of Facebook, but family and friends are on Facebook. So it's difficult. <sighs> Call to action. I try to donate here and there. My biggest one is donorschoose.org. Uh, speaking of donations, though, don't go to Amazon.com. Go to smile.amazon.com, and a portion of what you spend will go to, toward a charity of your choice. Okay, cool. The cost does not go up, and it. I've donated close to $100 just based on all the things we order off of Amazon, whether the books, baby things, uh, classroom things, whatever, and it helps. Every little bit helps if more people use that. Instead of regular Amazon.com, the world would be a better place. Cool, I never knew about that. Thanks for sharing. 
Well, cool, man. I think we did a good job. We're only 10 minutes over here. We opened up a ton of cans of worms and, uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, go fishing. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks again. And, uh, let's stay in touch. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. And thank you for everybody who's listened this far. <laughs> Indeed.